0: Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church Podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Exodus. Enjoy the message. Okay, so you can turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus 40, we're going to be wrapping up our series I hope and trust that it's been a blessing to you and that you've enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure it's a book that you have spent time in, and, uh, and maybe, just maybe, there's been some new insights and some wonderful uh, new fresh thoughts that have uh, enlightened you and strengthened you and encouraged you in this time. So, last week, we looked at one of the most Successful fundraising events in all of history. I was thinking, you know, if they put up one of those cardboard giving thermometers in the camp of Israel, it would have blown up overnight, right? This was a genuine expression of grace. God had called them to build the tabernacle. They had almost forfeited this opportunity because God says, hey, I'm not going with you. And if God's not going to go with them, then there's no need for the tabernacle. But God is gracious and God is kind. And so God comes and restores and he renews the covenant and he says, okay, let's build this tabernacle. And the people respond with generous hearts, with open hearts, and they give abundantly. Now, we must not forget that the Israelites were slaves. And they'd come out of Egypt with very little except the plunder of Egypt, which God had given them. God had actually supplied them with these gifts. God had given them gold and treasures to come out of Egypt with. It wasn't the earnings of their hands. And so the very treasures that they get to bring, they give back to God what God had already given them. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That everything we have actually comes from the Lord. And so they give. But we must not forget that they'd given already. But they would given in error. They would given in disobedience. Because what did they do with their gold and their silver? Well, they built a big, massive golden calf, remember? And so they had given already, but they had given in disobedience. And so we get to the point now where they say, okay, let's build something that will please the Lord. Let's actually do something that is an act of obedience. And so they must have gone around the camp and like, hey, do you have any gold left? And, and, and there was, there was, there was treasures, but maybe not that much. And they were willing to give it all. And so here we see a newly repentant, a newly obedient people, a renewed people, And and I think let's just enjoy the moment. We know that it's short-lived as we study the rest of the Old Testament. But for now, let's just enjoy the moment that there are an obedient people, that there are repentant people, and at least for the time being, they've learned their lesson, right? And so let's enjoy the moment. We're going to pick it up in Exodus 39 verse 32, and then we'll jump into a few verses of chapter 40. But firstly, verse 32 of 39, it says this, Thus, All the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Heartfelt, genuine obedience. They did all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And then we get to chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. We read this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And so now all the supplies were there. Everything was given. Everything was put together. And now it was time to actually put it together. So they were to erect it. And then we go down to verse 16 and 17 and we read this. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. Verse 17. In the first month, in the second year, On the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. And then down to verse 33. So Moses finished the work. Now, the reason I've picked these few verses is because you would have noticed there are a couple of interesting timeline markers. There are a couple of interesting events, but they're also given some time markers. Firstly, we see that it's the first month of the second year. This means that they've been camping at Mount Sinai now for nine months. They journeyed out of Egypt in the wilderness all the way up to Sinai. It was a three-month journey, and then they've been camped out at Sinai now for nine months. That's a long time. That's a long time for all of the events that have happened to unfold. But that's not the only thing we see here. What we see in this ending chapter, chapter 40, is that the Lord is giving to Moses seven things to do. So the big idea is that he's to erect the the tabernacle, to take now all the parts and the pieces and to put it all together. But the Lord now gives it to him in seven parts. We see seven things that he is told to do. He's to set up and anoint the tabernacle, the tablets or the testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, the table and the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and the basin. Those are the seven main primary features of the tabernacle. And so he, he gives it to him in almost sevenfold order. And then at the end of each sevenfold instruction, we read this. It says, seven times, just as the Lord commanded him, or just as God commanded him. And so there is a repetition of events, there's a repetition of materials, there's a repetition of instructions, but the important thing we need to realize here is that what is he saying by repeating it? There's very little in scripture that is just given for no reason. And what the commentators point out to us here is that there is no doubt that when an Israelite reads Exodus 40, with all of its repetition and with its sevenfold instruction and sevenfold commands, there's no doubt that an Israelite reading this would have known that Moses is intentionally borrowing from the creation account, that Moses is thinking back to Genesis 2. In fact, when we take Genesis 2 verse 1 and we compare it with Exodus 39 verse 32, which we started with this morning, have a look at this when we put them side by side. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And then Exodus 39, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed. So not only do we have the sevenfold repetition, but even the language of completion and of all of it being finished, points to the reality that this tabernacle event was a kind of new creation moment. That what God was doing in the tabernacle, as we had said earlier on when we looked and studied this particular event, is that what God is doing here is a kind of renewed Eden. That the very tabernacle itself was a type of God and expression. The beauty of the tabernacle, the, the, the detail of the tabernacle, if you walked into it, it would have been like a spectacular Garden of Eden, but not just the materials and not just the look, but the point of the tabernacle, and that is that God dwells there. And in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve, and God's presence was in the garden, and so too was the purpose of the tabernacle. And so the ending here is a kind of new creation moment. As as the language points us back to the original creation, we have a sense of God doing a new creation moment with his new nation. And so after they had built it, what's interesting is they then wait. Because what else can they do? (laughs) It's interesting. So they build and then they wait because their work is now done. It's now over to the Lord. And the question we're left asking is, will God, will the glory of God actually descend and fill The tabernacle. Will God actually come through and dwell with his people? And so let's read from verse 34 to 38 as we finish chapter 40. Then the cloud, it's almost like God was eager because there's no delay. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So God comes through. God is true to his word. The glory cloud comes down. But now what we need to notice here is that this is not just a once-off visit. This is a permanent dwelling. This is God coming. Notice that, that, that actually he's with them throughout their journeys. God has come to dwell amongst his people in the tabernacle. This was God taking up residence in his new house. It's like Moses built it and then he handed over the keys and said, welcome, Lord. And God came to his house. It's also interesting to notice that every verse here in this last bit, 34 to 38, every verse mentions the cloud. This cloud is what we spoke of earlier in Exodus is a type of theophany. It is a picture, a visual demonstration of the presence of God. And we must be reminded that earlier on, the people were not allowed to approach even the mountain where the cloud would descend. Never mind go to the cloud. They weren't allowed to even approach the mountain of the Lord. And now what we find is that this cloud is now living in their midst. Remember when they feared to even hear the voice of God? That they were not allowed to go up Sinai lest they be struck down. And yet now, we see that this fearful, wonderful, transcendent God has made his home in their midst. And so you thought Sinai was terrifying. You thought Sinai was amazing. But now we see the God of Sinai has come to live in your street, in your campsite. And so after all of this good news, the ultimate goal of Exodus, that they would be drawn out of Egypt and then drawn into the presence of God. It's happening. It's all happening. And after all of this good news, we read verse 35 and we're like, hang on. Because now Moses can't go in. What's this all about? What's this all about? God is ultimately. Fulfilled his goal, his purpose of gathering with his people, of being with his people. Surely Moses, of all people, should have access to the glory cloud. Surely, surely Moses should be welcomed into the tabernacle. I mean, yeah, he was a bit of a scoundrel in the beginning, but, but God's worked on him, right? He's come through. He's, he's led his people. He's been the mediator. He's been the intercessor. He's been the prophet of God for the people of God. But we... But we're told there in verse 35, look at it again. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Why? Because he was a bad boy? No, no, no. Because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, I'm, not, I'm not thinking to myself... But Moses has already experienced the cloud. Moses has already been up on the mountain. In Exodus 24, we're reminded that Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So so now why, if he was up on Sinai, why now is he on the outside looking in and not allowed to enter? So how do we make sense of this? And I think the point of this is to remind us of an earlier event where there was another time where the presence of God stopped, stopped entrance into a house. Remember the Passover? Exodus 12. It was during the night of Passover when the presence of the Lord said to the angel, the destroying angel that came, and the presence of God said to the angel, you shall not enter this house. In order for the people to be kept safe. Have a look at it with me. Because I think it's just a great insight. Exodus 12 verse 33. It says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Sorry verse 23. 12:23. 23. So why then does the presence of the Lord bar Moses from entering his house? And the answer is it's the very same reason as we see in chapter 12 that the people might be kept safe. Now you might be thinking, why does Moses need to be kept safe from God? And the answer is the same reason for earlier, and that is God is close, but God's not cozy. This is the transcendent, eternal, mighty God, who's not just visiting, but actually coming to dwell in the midst of the people. And it feels, in a sense, at first, like a little bit of an anticlimax, because this was the goal. The goal was for God to dwell in their midst, but now they can't come in. And the reason they can't come in is because God's still holy, and we're still sinners, and so we can't come close. And so we left scratching our head a little bit, going, the end of Exodus... We have this glorious moment with this tabernacle being filled with the glory of God, but yet the people can't come in. And, the, and, and I'm left asking, well, is this how it ends? Is this, is this, is this how it's going to end? And the answer is no. You know when you're watching a movie and, uh, and suddenly it just suddenly ends and the, and the next thing is the credits are scrolling on the screen and you're left there going... Okay, I know what you guys are doing. I mean, these Hollywood people, you know, I, they, they're setting us up for the sequel, right? They, they've made another movie, and so they've caught us again. It just, it leaves you hanging, and you're kind of like, surely it can't end like that. You're thinking like, Luke Skywalker, what are you doing there on top of that mountain looking so old? And you get the same feeling here, like, is this, is this how it ends? God is in their midst, but nobody can come in? I mean, how, how on earth are they going to live with this God in their midst if, if no one can come close? And the answer is, there is Torah, season 3. Exodus is not the end of the story. Exodus is Torah, part 2. Genesis was part 1. Torah, part 2 is Exodus, and then there's Leviticus, right? Right? Leviticus is Torah season three because what Leviticus does is it picks up right where Exodus leaves us off. Have a look at Leviticus 1 verse 1. It says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The very tent that he was not allowed to approach. Here comes season three. And the Lord calls Moses. And says, Moses, I've got the next season for you. I've got the next set of instructions. Come in here. Come in here. And Moses draws near. And what we find is if you read through Leviticus, which will be a very tough thing to do over Christmas. Because just when you think boring got boring, actually it actually gets quite exciting. Because I'm going to give you the plot of the story. Because what we see in Leviticus is this. Moses. For the next few chapters in Leviticus, it's all about sacrifice. Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sacrifices. And it's kind of nauseating reading through it because it's repeated and repeated and repeated. And what's the big idea? The big idea is you dare not approach God without a blood sacrifice. Without, a, without an atoning sacrifice for your sin. Don't you dare approach God because you will die. And so God is gracious. And God gives, following Exodus 40, instructions on how do we ever, how, don't, how on earth do we ever approach a holy God? We need a sacrifice. And then as we read on, we know that Leviticus leads to Numbers, and then Numbers leads to Deuteronomy. But yet all of these ancient Old Testament texts don't really tie up all the loose ends, do they? Because the reason they don't tie them all up is because they're waiting for the ultimate fulfillment. And that is, who do all these sacrifices point to? And the obvious answer is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the sacrificial Passover lamb. It's the blood. When the angel, the destroyer, saw the blood, he didn't look for an Israelite. Notice that in the text. It doesn't say, when I saw an Israelite, I passed over. No, no. When I saw the blood, I passed over. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the divine lawgiver. Jesus comes. He lays down his life as the lamb of God. Jesus climbs a mountain and gives the sermon on the mount. Jesus is just like Moses, only much greater. Jesus is the manna in the wilderness. Jesus is the water in the desert. Jesus is the life-giving rock. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the intercessor. Jesus is the altar. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the tabernacle. He's all of it. John 1 verse 14, And the word, Jesus, became flesh. And dwelt, the Greek word there is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us, made his home among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory cloud. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so just when you're thinking, just when you're thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have lived in the Old Testament days? You know, we could have seen the glory cloud. Well, church, we get to enjoy something greater. We, we see a glory cloud take on skin and bones. We might not see him with, with the physical eyes, but we see him in the glory of the Scriptures, the cradle of the Scriptures in which Christ lays. We see him there in the fullness of God revealed in Christ. The glory cloud takes on flesh He dies. He's raised from the dead and he's coming again. And because of Jesus, all who trust in him now have access to God. We we get to go, church. We get to go where Moses was not allowed to go. And even under the old covenant, only once a year could the high priest actually go in. Only once a year. And yet, On this side of the cross, because of Christ and his perfect sacrifice, we get to go in any moment of any day for the rest of our lives. And it even gets better than that. Because the New Testament tells us that not only does the Holy Spirit, the glory cloud sent from God, fill the tabernacle But actually now we're those tabernacles. We are the temples and the Spirit of God now lives in us. So we don't have to go far. We just need to go in faith. Straight to the Father through the Son. And so I want to close Exodus with a couple of things I want to point out. Exodus, in a sense... Begins and ends with a cloud. It ends with a beautiful picture of a cloud. But remember the beginning? The word cloud is not mentioned in the beginning, but the Israelites are living under a dark cloud. They're slaves in Egypt. And they're living under a darkness. There is a bitterness. There is an angst. There is a a sorrow. Remember the, 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 the slaying of children? Remember the the, the cruel tyranny of Pharaoh, the the, the pursuit of their young children, the the, the harsh treatment of the Israelites as they were building, building for for Pharaoh's self-glorifying projects. And so the book begins with this dark cloud, this darkness of oppression, this cloud of oppression over the people of God. And then it ends with this glory cloud. And that's the story of the exodus. All that happens between the two clouds is the story of the exodus, the exodus of God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. And it's between these two clouds that we've been journeying for the last year, church. And we've journeyed with the sovereign God of heaven and earth, and we've seen his mighty hand of deliverance. And so Exodus is a movement, a movement not only of a people, but of a people who were slaves, who are now sons. A movement from slavery to sonship, from serving Pharaoh to now serving God. It's also a change of service. Remember, the Israelites were building All of these self-glorifying buildings. And how does the book end? Well, it ends with them building the tabernacle. And so we have a change in sonship. We have a change in identity. We have a change in ownership. We have a change in worship. And we have a change in work. They are now working for the Lord. And so it ends with this picture of this glorious, cloud, the presence of God, who had drawn his people out and drawn them into his presence, but only because of a sacrifice, not because of their works, not even because of Moses. Remember, up till now, it was Moses that got them everywhere, Moses that got them off the hook, Moses who was the mediator, but at this point, Moses can't do anything for them. Moses can't fulfill the story because a sacrificial lamb is the only one who can ultimately Fulfill the story. He's the only way we get to go into the presence of God. To fellowship with the almighty God. What a great story. But it's not just their story. It's also ours. It's ours. Because we too were slaves to our sin. And Jesus has come to free us from our sins. But not just free us into nothing. Nothing but to free us into a promise, into an inheritance, into his presence. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our journey through this amazing book. We thank you for the way in which you've led us and spoken to us and encouraged us. We thank you for this ancient people, the people of Israel, your your people that you rescued. But we thank you that it's not just their story. As we get to the New Testament, we see that this is actually also our story, that we are to learn from this example. We are to follow their way, follow their instructions. We are to learn the lessons and to imitate their faith. Father, I pray that you would continue to lead us. We pray that your presence would come upon us, fill our lives. Lord, we want your glory cloud, the very presence of the Spirit of God, to fill our hearts and to lead us by day and by night. But we know that this is not possible apart from Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And so we thank you, Jesus. We cling to you, Jesus. You are our only hope. We thank you that you are our Savior and our Lord. And so we come to the Father through the Son. We come into the presence of the Father through the work of the Son. Jesus, may we never lose sight of you and your sacrifice.